It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. In today's ever-changing, get-it-done-now world, we live in a constant state of stress and worry. According to today's guest, Dr. Elizabeth Stanley, we can learn to become more resilient and alter our effects and outcomes. Dr. Stanley is an Army veteran, a pioneering researcher, and an associate professor of security studies at Georgetown University. She's the author of the book, Widen the Window, Training Your Brain and Body to Thrive During Stress and Recover from Trauma. Welcome, Dr. Stanley. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Joan. So, Liz, in your life, you have experienced a lot of trauma. Can you tell us about a few of the things that you went through that led you to create a mind fitness training program? Well, um, we often end up doing what it is we most need to learn for ourselves, and I am definitely of that kind of background. I experienced several traumatic events during childhood, like many of us do. And then when I was in the Army, I served overseas and experienced stressful military training and even had a near-death experience while I was deployed in Bosnia. I also experienced a lot of sexual violence in my life, including sexual harassment that when I reported it, um, there was command reprisal against me, and that's why I left the military. And then while I was in graduate school, um, all of the coping I had been doing throughout my life, the way many of us cope with stress, pushing it under, compartmentalizing, denying it, keep going, I'd done that for decades, and my body was done. It was just not going to do that anymore, um, because that way of coping was turning stress on and not turning it off. And so at the worst of my um, you know, body acting out after all of that unresolved stress and trauma. I developed PTSD and I even lost my eyesight for a while. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, what it took to get my attention and realize that I needed to learn a new way to deal with stress. And um, that's what I did. And I developed this resilience training program and I write about it and the research we've done with it in this book. Liz, any one of the things that you experienced could have had a crippling impact on a person's life, but to experience all of these, I can't even imagine (laughs) how overwhelming. I mean, not that it's a contest. I mean, people usually say to me, because in a very short period of time, my mother died, my sister died, my 23-year marriage ended, my oldest son left for college, and that was within six months of my life. But, you know, this isn't a contest that anyone wants to win, but when you go through these types of experiences, I completely understand with how you manage them for most of your life because I did the same thing and that so many of our listeners do as well. So let's talk about some of the strategies that people can implement to heal and move forward. The title of your book is Widen the Window. So let's start there. What is the window that you write about and what does it mean to widen it? Well, the window is the window of tolerance that each of us have for stress arousal, 
within which we can keep our deliberate decision-making and being able to access choice online. When we're inside our window, we can do those things. And when we're inside our window, that's when our behavior can really be intentional and it can match our, our goals. That's when it's easiest for us to recover from trauma. And people with wider windows are much more tolerant of uncertainty and much more flexible during difficult situations. They can, you know, go with the flow better when life throws a curveball. They're much more comfortable with change. And they're also the best able to give and receive social support during stressful situations. So having a wide window is really important. Um, Our window starts being wired when we're still in the womb, actually. And it's very affected by our early childhood social environment. Um, But we can narrow it throughout our lives. And it's interesting, Joan, when you were sharing, you know, about your experience, which sounds like it was a very intense six-month period for you, too. You said it's not a contest. And what's interesting is so many of us treat it as a contest. And our thinking brains... Um, you know, will devalue or dismiss what's going on with us because we say, oh, well, you know, I haven't been raped or I haven't seen combat or I haven't lost three people in a six-month period. So, you know, I'm just dealing with garden variety anxiety or I'm just dealing with, you know, bills and too many deadlines. And, and we write that off. But the problem is when we do that, and we're all conditioned to do that, when we do that, it it actually makes our stress worse because that is not helping the part of the brain that controls recovery from stress to actually do the recovery process. So in terms of simple things to do, one of the most important is understanding how the part of the brain that controls recovery, it's very affected by where we're directing our attention. And we could be directing our attention consciously, but more often, we're having our attention directed unconsciously. So when we're caught in a cycle of worry, or we're watching, you know, uh, lots of traffic around us, or we're paying attention to the news, which is always activating, you know, when we're directing our attention in ways like that, that's actually turning the stress on without helping to turn it off. So we need to become aware of where our attention is because we always have choice about what we're directing our attention. And then we can direct our attention in ways that help that old part of our brain that controls stress. I call it the survival brain. can help the survival brain to feel safe because that's the stance it has to be in for it to stop adding more stress and to start turning on the recovery functions we need to recover from stress and trauma. So because a lot of our window, the size of our window, is due to programming that we didn't even write, the key then is to become mindful of our behavior. Absolutely. And to become mindful of the ways that we are often caught in these autopilot, as you said, programming that was wired at times earlier in our life that was really adaptive. It helped us survive then. But it's not necessarily helping us to thrive now. And being able to recognize when we're in the middle of one of those programs and then to be able to redirect our attention in ways that help us to recover and rewrite that programming because we always have that choice today. 
Liz, what does the science tell us about stress, trauma, and resiliency? Well, you know, it's interesting. We often think of stress and trauma as two different things, and they're kind of conceptualized as different, and we go to different clinicians or different specialists to, to handle them. They're, what the most recent research is showing, however, is that they are a continuum. We'll turn stress on whenever the survival brain perceives a situation to be threatening or challenging. That's what turns stress on. And that's not up to our thinking brain. That's up to this unconscious part of our survival brain. And stress is traumatic if our survival brain is also perceiving us in that moment to be helpless or powerless or lacking control. And so when we begin to learn how to direct our attention, we can direct our attention in ways that help our survival brain to realize even if the situation around us is not under our control and it's not how we want it to be, we still have choice in where we're directing our attention. And when we have shown our survival brain that, then we're accessing choice and that prevents us from feeling powerless and helpless. So it's a protective measure against trauma. And that's one of the ways we can become more resilient. Well, and I know a lot of people, whenever they go through some type of an experience, they automatically fall into that victim mentality. You talk about not being able to control things. I couldn't control my mother dying. I couldn't control my sister dying. I had already lost my father and brother. So that was my family. I couldn't control the divorce. All of these things in my life were outside of my control. And I got to a very dark place, but Mm. I realized that I was at a fork in the road. And as you said, it's a choice. You know, which way will I go? Will I turn it into something positive? Will I choose to, to survive and heal? Or will I stay stuck? in that victim mode, in that dark place, and just live that way for the rest of my life. It really is some type of a choice that we all make. It's always a choice. It's a choice at a macro level, like you said, in terms of am I going to choose other behaviors, other habits, other ways of engaging in the world. But we also have this choice at a micro level, which is where we're directing our attention moment to moment. And I know that this sounds really crazy and even simple, like we should already know it, but we don't already know it, even though the science is now showing it's the case. In a moment where we're feeling overwhelmed, we can direct our attention, for example, to feeling the support of the chair, feeling the contact of our butt with the chair. And that alone, just directing our attention to that pressure and hardness, or if we're in a comfortable chair, softness of the chair, that One little shift in our attention is actually showing our survival brain that in this moment, we still, it might be really sucky. (laughs) The situation might be really sucky, but we in this moment still have, we're still stable. We're still safe. And that, making that little shift to show the survival brain that even in the middle of this really horrible situation, we're still stable that actually has tremendous effects so that we can access the macro choices you were talking about in terms of habits that turning towards um, building a resilient way of being in the world and engaging in the world again instead of giving up. And I think the message here is that it makes us extremely powerful. It does. 
It absolutely does, Joan. Yes. And when we have been through some really challenging things, like that really, I'm sure, incredibly painful and overwhelming period that you were talking about in your life, when you weather something like that and come out the other side, you know, there's a reason why people use the phrase post-traumatic growth, because we are wiring these new implicit memories that show our survival brain, even though this is horrific, even though this is really, really challenging, I still have capacity to make it through. And then the survival brain knows that for the next challenge we face in our lives. That is the process of widening the window. Liz, can you explain to us what intergenerational trauma is? Yes. So I said earlier on in our conversation that we start wiring our window when we're still in the womb. It starts wiring in our third trimester when we're in the process of starting to wire our brain and our nervous system. And it continues throughout our childhood. So if and we wire ourselves, our brains and our nervous systems and our hormone system, our immune system, all of these things get wired through the resonance with the people that we're spending the most time with, our early social environment, which for most of us is our parents. If our parents are coping with unresolved stress and trauma themselves, or they've just been through a really big loss, and they have not done their own recovery, then our parents' windows are also narrowed. And more likely than not, our parents' windows in that case have also led them to have insecure attachment styles. And both of these things, the, the, the narrowed windows of our parents, an insecure attachment style with our parents, which result from their trauma and stress that have nothing to do with us, it resonates to us, the children, as um, through stress contagion, through emotion contagion, and even through epigenetics, which is the process of um, repeated experience affecting our gene expression. It's one of the reasons why people will say, you know, alcoholism runs in the family. It's not actually the genes. It's the, the epigenetic changes that have been passed on generation to generation. So intergenerational trauma happens when the children begin to wire a narrow window, not because they've experienced something directly themselves, but because they're picking it up through this wiring resonance from their parents. And that's why parents have a real responsibility to heal and recover from their own stress and trauma so that they are not conveying that into the minds and bodies of their children. And that's the really important point because we need to become mindful and break the cycle not only for ourselves but for our future family generations. And when we do that, how long does it take, Liz, to actually widen that window? How many generations? Well, you know, we can widen our window. The, the published research um, that we've done, I've collaborated for a decade now with neuroscientists and stress researchers to look at the effects of my resilience program in um, troops before they deployed to combat, police forces, other high-stress populations. And they have shown changes in their sleep patterns, in their cognitive performance, in their hormones and blood biomarkers of resilience, in the way that their brains fire during stress, in the way that they go through stress arousal, like during combat drills, how fast their heart beats, how fast their breathing rate works, 
all of that shifts after just eight weeks of training. So parents might be super stressed right now. They can begin to turn off some of those um, chronic stress and trauma effects in their own mind and body today. And then through repeated experiences with their children, they can interrupt it in this generation. It doesn't have to be passed on. But the other side is if we don't turn it off and we let those changes stand in ourselves, the epigenetics research has shown that changes in great-grandparents, this research has been done, not with humans so much with mice and, and rodents, um, rats, because they have much shorter lifespans. But they've seen traumatized mice and traumatized rodents, the great-grandparents, so four generations, the same epigenetic change, the, the detrimental change in immunity, in stress arousal, in memory function, it lasts four generations, they've shown. So we can interrupt that instead of passing it on. And we can start today just learning how to train our attention to be able to help the survival brain recover, um, getting more sleep, getting more physical exercise, spending time in regulated environments. Our minds and bodies are always resonating with something. So being in nature is actually very helpful for our mind and body because nature helps us to downregulate. And making sure that we're eating well so that we can help boost the immunity in our gut through our microbiome. Um, our diet has a huge effect on our epigenetics, actually. So all of these different tools are in the book. Um, and your listeners can also go to my website and download the first exercise for training attention that's in my resilience program. The first exercise is called the contact points and it's five minutes long audio exercise to train the attention to help the survival brain to feel stable and safe. And we can do that every day so that when we are in the heat of a stressful situation, we can draw on that skill. And Liz, do you have a strategy or two that can help us stay more grounded so we don't take on the energy of others? The best strategy I know for helping to interrupt the detrimental ways that stress contagion and emotion contagion works is that when we are with someone who is really stressed out or really anxious or really irritated, if we can direct our attention to feeling our body in contact with the surroundings around us. So our butt in the chair, our feet touching the floor, our hands, maybe if we're driving, touching the steering wheel. Um, anytime we can direct our attention to some of that physical contact, it will help our survival brain not pick up their stress contagion and instead to stay regulated so that we can convey back to them that regulation and help them to downregulate too. We can also direct our attention to neutral things like sounds around us, hearing the sounds and, and spaces of silence between sounds. That also is a way to help us get regulated. But in the heat of a moment with someone who's really stressed, physical contact, the sensations of contact, is a better first cue. The book is Wide in the Window, Training Your Brain and Body to Thrive During Stress and Recover from Trauma. 
Again, if you would like to get more information about Dr. Stanley and her work, or if you'd like to access some of those resources she mentioned, you can visit elizabeth-stanley.com. And as always, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow us on social media. Liz, thank you so much for joining us and for providing ways that we can manage whatever life throws at us. We can learn to widen that window and not only survive, but thrive. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me today, Joan. It's been a real pleasure. This is Conversations with Joan. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.